Just take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. In looking at a few moments with verse 12. How do you get to know someone? Well, you might look at their appearance. You might find out what their reputation is. You might observe the things that they do. You may sit down and talk with them and ask them some questions. That's basically how you get to know someone. How do you get to know Jesus? Pretty much the same way. You, I guess you might say you begin to investigate him and see what he is about. We are thinking about the words of the risen Christ. And one of the times he appeared was to one of his disciples. And that disciple was the beloved disciple, John. And John had been seeking to spread the good news about Jesus and for his efforts, the renegade of the authorities. And so they exiled him to a little island out in the middle of the, the Mediterranean Sea. And while he was there, Jesus gave him a vision. And he wrote it down. It's what we have is the book of Revelation. But it, he starts out with a vision of the risen Christ and what the risen Christ had to say to him. So let's look at these verses and see what the risen Christ said to John and remember what he said to John. He is saying also to us. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Now, if you want to find something out about Jesus, look at his appearance. And this passage of Scripture tells us something about the appearance of the risen Christ. Now, remember that what this is saying at this point is seeking to communicate to us some of the nature and characteristics of Christ. So keep that in mind as we look at these things. First of all, it says that he was among the lampstands. In Revelation, lampstands meant the churches. There's going to be a, a reference later on in this passage to, about uh, stars, and that represented the churches as well. But it's talking about Jesus being among the lampstands. He is among his churches. He's not an absent ruler. He's not ruling by remote control. He's in the presence of his churches. He's in the presence of his people. So when he saw him among the lampstands, that's saying something about Jesus. It's saying Jesus is with us. Then he said, he is like the Son of Man, was the appearance. Son of Man was one of the favorite 
terms that Jesus used to describe himself. It's a term from all the Old Testament, primarily the book of Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 7 we read, and again, one of God's servants was having a vision. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, God, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So when John saw Jesus as one like the Son of Man, this is what he's saying about him. He's sovereign. He has authority. All people will worship him, and he will rule forever. Quite a statement about who Jesus is. Then he had a robe and a sash. If you go back to Exodus, when God was giving all of his commands about how to be worshipped through the temple and the tabernacle and all of you know, the ritual that went with the law of Moses, the priest wore long robes that had a sash on them. So this is saying that Jesus is our priest. He is the one who makes sacrifice for our sin. As the Old Testament priest offered animals, he offered himself on the cross. Also, the priest carried into the presence of God the prayers of the people. And it's through Jesus that we approach God and know that our prayers are carried before the Father himself. He had white hair. In the Old Testament, God is pictured as one white hair. Remember that phrase from Daniel, the Ancient of Days? Saying, this is the eternal one. He's the eternal one. He's the lasting one. Said he has eyes like fire. In other words, he can look and he sees what's going on. He sees all that's going on. Two things. That's for our protection. He watches over his own. He keeps his eye on us. It's also for our correction. He sees what we're doing we shouldn't be doing. And reminds us we're supposed to change and move in another direction. His feet like metal. Metal burning in a furnace. Now, now, this is the indication that he had the power to tread on his enemies and crush and destroy them. Jesus is the victor. And if you're on Jesus' side, then you're victorious for all eternity. Feet like metal. And then a double-edged sword came from his mouth. The power is in his word. Remember when God created the world? What did he do? He said, let there be light. And there was light. He speaks it and it happens. Jesus speaks it and it happens. He has that kind of authority. And a double-edged sword means that he's going to slay all of his enemies. He's going to put aside all wickedness. And he can do it with just a word. He's that powerful. Now, if you saw someone that looked like that, think about it. White hair, face shining like the sun, blazing eyes, double-edged sword out of the mouth. What would you do? What did John do? He fell face down. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. You know, he was just about passed out. You know, that wasn't too terribly unusual. If you look back at Ezekiel, 
when he got a vision of the glory of God, said he fell prostrate before God. When Daniel had that initial vision of the glory of God, he fell down, face down. Sometimes we fail to catch the majesty and glory of God. John saw it, and it was so astounding, he just collapsed. And Jesus began to speak. You see, it mentioned there that his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Our God isn't a mute idol. He's the one that can communicate with us. And so he began to speak. Now, what he said tells us who he is and what he's about. So let's put this in the form of us asking a question and Jesus giving us an answer. Let's think about it that way. Our question and the answer we receive from the risen Christ. What do you want to say to me? You can follow along, beginning kind of in the middle of verse 17. What do you want to say to me? And he says, do not be afraid. <clears throat> now, sometimes we fear God. Adam and Eve in the garden hid themselves because they were afraid of God. Why? Because they had sinned. When we recognize that we are, have sinned, sometimes we're afraid of God and we want to run from Him. It was taught in the Old Testament that if you saw God in His glory, you would die. That might be frightening enough that we wouldn't want to see Him. So many times in the Scripture, you get the word coming to God when God's appearing to His people and He says, do not be afraid. He came to Abraham and said, Do not be afraid, Abraham, for I am your shield, your very great reward. When the shepherds appeared, when the angels appeared to the shepherds, what did they say? First of all, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. When Jesus came to his disciples, walking on the water to them while they were out of the lake, they were frightened, thought they were seeing a ghost, and he said, Don't be afraid. God Christ says to us, do not be afraid. We're to reverence God. We're to honor God. But we're not to be so afraid of God that we run from Him. He doesn't want that. He wants us to see that He, though He is a powerful God, He is a loving God. And He made us, and He loves us, and He wants a relationship with us, and He wants to bless us. Don't be afraid. That's what he says to us. Don't be afraid. What else might we ask him? Who are you? And he tells us, I am the first and I am the last. Jesus is the first. In the Gospel of John, the beginning of his Gospel, he uses the word, word, to stand for Jesus. And he said, in the beginning was the word. Jesus was at the beginning. I am the first. Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. He is the first to be brought back from the dead who will be alive forevermore. Jesus is first, number one. He is number one. He is in first place. I am the first, that he said, and I am the last. In other words, Jesus is going to come back. 
He's going to bring an end to all things. Jesus is the one who is the period at the end of the sentence. Jesus is the one who is the last word in the book. Jesus is the one toward whom all history is flowing, and it will work out just as he wants it to work out. He is the last. He brings it all to the end. He is the first, and he is the last. Don't miss something in that, what he said. He said, I am the first and the last. Jesus said, I am. When God went to rescue his people from Egypt, he went to Moses. And Moses said, who am I to tell these people sending me to you? And what did God say? God said, I am who I am. Go and tell these people the I am has sent you to them. Jesus is saying, I am. In the Gospel of John, you see that over and over. Chapter 6, he said, I am the bread of life. In chapter 10, he said, I am the good shepherd. In chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, He is God. Jesus Christ is God. Listen to what is said in Daniel chapter 44, verse 6. This is what the Lord said, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. How about that? Jesus saying the same thing that God said. Why? Because he's God. Jesus is God. When Jesus appeared to his disciples and Thomas wasn't there and he didn't believe, then he was with them the next time Jesus appeared. And when he saw Jesus, what did he say? My Lord and my God. Jesus is God. He is the Lord Almighty. Now that might raise another question. Why do, you, why do you have the authority to make such a claim? Why do you have the authority to claim that you are God? And this is what he says. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. He was dead. He was crucified. He was buried. He was dead. But then he rose. Romans chapter 6, verse 9, Paul says, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Jesus is alive forevermore. Religious leaders couldn't do anything to him again. The Romans couldn't do anything to him again. He couldn't be mocked again. He couldn't be beaten again. He couldn't be crucified again. He can't be he can die again. He is alive forever. The living one. The one who was brought back from the dead and is alive forevermore. Is alive forevermore because he is God. And he backed up his claim that he is God by being raised from the dead and by being alive forevermore. One other question. What do you have for me? What do you have for me? And look what he replied. 
I hold the keys of death at Hades. When you're trapped, what do you want? You want to be set free. If you have an automobile wreck, the car is mangled and you can't get out of it, you want them to come along with that device they call the jaws of life and pry that vehicle apart so that you can get out and get the treatment you need. If you're in prison, you want your freedom. You want the judge to sign a paper that says you can be released. You're trapped in an elevator. You want somebody to come along that's got the key to that mechanism that makes it work and get the door open and get you out of there. You want to be set free. When you die, you're going to want to be set free from death. When I was in high school, one of my friends told me that she had been claustrophobic, but she had gotten over it. I said, how would you get over it? She said, I've got an older brother, and I can trust him. I know I can trust him anything. So one day, we got the keys to the family car, and I went out, and we opened the trunk, and I got in the trunk, and I told him to close the lid a little bit. And I knew he'd do just what I told him. And if I told him to close it a little more, he'd close it a little more. If I told him to stop, he'd stop. And she said, I'd tell him to close it a little bit more, and I'd lay there a little bit, and I'd say, a little more, and then maybe take it back up, a little more and a little more, till he got to the place he could put it down and press it, and it locked. But he knew she had the key. And then in, he took the key and opened the trunk and let her out. And she said, I got over my claustrophobia. What did Jesus say? I hold the keys. I hold the keys to death. Who had you rather have hold them? Can you think of anybody else you'd rather hold the key to death than Jesus Christ? Of course not. He holds the keys. He holds the keys to death. Think about what happened. They took Jesus, put him on trial, a mock trial. They breed him. They crucified him. He was dead. They put him in the grave. The Roman governor said, take soldiers, soldiers from the most powerful army in the world at that time. Tell those soldiers to make that grave secure. They didn't know something. They didn't know that Jesus had the keys. So in the morning on the first day of the week, he took those keys and locked the door to death itself, came walking out of that tomb. And guess what he did when he walked out of that tomb? He brought the keys with him. And he still holds them. He had the keys. And he has the keys. Jesus is the one who has the keys. And it's because He has the keys that we don't have to fear death any longer. One day, you're going to go to a funeral of a loved one. Or one day, they're going to take you to your own funeral. And after the service has been held, after the body has been disposed of, after everybody's left and gone home, one day, one day, there's going to be the sound of the archangel. One day, there's going to be the trumpet call of God. 
One day, Jesus is going to come back to earth and Jesus has the keys and He will set those of us who belong to Him free. Death itself will be opened and Jesus will set us free to live with Him, the living one, sharing His life forever and ever. He holds the keys and because He holds the keys, He can do all of that. He is the living one, God Himself. Jesus says to us, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Why? Because if we belong to Jesus, if we have come to the place in our lives where we're willing to say to Jesus, my Lord and my God, we don't have to fear death. We don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to stand in awe of death. Jesus has the keys. And even though we die, Jesus will set us free. But let me tell you something this morning. If you don't have Jesus as Savior, then you have every reason to be afraid. Because if Jesus isn't your Savior, then nobody else has the keys. No other ruler, no other king, no other leader, no other authority has the keys. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And if you don't have Jesus, then you better be afraid of death. Because it's something that can go on for eternity. The Bible calls it the second death in a place that we don't want to be. If you don't have Jesus this morning, Jesus wants you to come to Him. He loves you. He made you. He died on the cross to pay for your sins. And He wants to give you eternal life. He wants to come to you, hug you, forgive you, bless you, make you His own. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be your God so that you can live like Him forever and ever. Don't miss that. Don't miss that up at verse 17. Jesus said, I am alive forever and ever. And when we belong to Jesus, then we are alive forever and ever. I would encourage you this morning, if you don't have Jesus as your Savior, come to the living one. Come to God himself so that he might give you life forever and forever. Maybe you would come out of gratitude and rededicate yourself to Him because He's your Lord and your God and you're secure in Him. Maybe you would come and rededicate yourself to Him. Maybe He's leading you to put your membership here in this church. Maybe you have already received Jesus as Savior, yet you hadn't made it public, and today you want to say, yes, I have received Jesus. He is my Lord and my Savior. Won't you respond to the living one as we sing our invitation hymn Number 503.